writing with a lot of young artists in the last few months, like something like 1920, and they're like, yeah, 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 I chat to my therapist about this all the time, I'm like, whoa, this, it's shifted so much. I feel like in the last five years, so I'm sitting here with Jordan Rakai at the Lomond Room Studios in London. It's two days after the Global Afro Music Awards. Jordan, thank you for coming on the One Year Later podcast. Thanks for having me. So it's been almost a year since you released your 30p driving music in September 2019. So let me hit the listeners with some stats really quick. This week, you won the Songwriter of the Year Award at the Global Afro Music Awards. You've toured the world and been nominated for Best Independent Album at the AIM Independent Music Awards. You penned Ottolenghi and Loose Ends with Loakana. You have a whole bunch of co-writes and producer rights and even a feature on there. The album was peaked at number three on the UK album chart. And you've done a 30-day tour of Australia, the US and Europe. You sold out London's Roundhouse and Melbourne's Recital Centre. And you've clocked over 100 million streams on Spotify. It's crazy. Does it feel weird when I read out just a few of your successes like that? How does that feel? It does. I always feel like since I was 18 and started making music, I've just been in a cycle of writing as much as I can, releasing it, and then every two or three years, someone will say something that will make me sort of stand back and say, holy crap, this is insane, that it's I'm growing and people recognize me or... Or I'm getting, that was my first award I got two days ago. So it's sort of like these things happening constantly remind me, I guess, how well I'm doing or, or at least how far I've come. It, it is crazy, especially the 100 million streams. That's, that's a lot of streams. A lot. So it's insane. Yeah, especially that being your first award. Like that's a really important award to sit and step back and celebrate. Yeah, and the fact that it's, from a songwriting society like APRA and I was given the songwriter of the year even makes it have more weight for me mm. and usually like I said I've never won awards but awards I've never thought about awards or I've never tried to write to get anything but the fact that a community of songwriters and the team at APRA thought that my talent was award-winning is is surreal and I remember the whole night I got I was they did this whole montage video before I, I it was announced that I won and it was emotional to seeing because knowing where I've come from and seeing how I had this whole montage documentary about my success was just really humbling and I'm re really appreciative of it all. I was actually just chatting to Jenny Morris who's the chair of APRA and she was just so proud of you. She was just so excited to be able to to have that award for you and I wanted to do you didn't know that Loyal Kana was going to come on stage no. and present that award for you. So anyone who's listening, he's a UK hip-hop artist here in London. And so that was a complete surprise. That was a surprise, yeah. And um, I knew, I actually didn't even know I was nominated for that award. I didn't know that was an award on the website. On the website, there were three awards that said Best New Art. Oh, so there was, well, my award was Overseas Recognition. And so I didn't win it. And I was like, it's cool. At least I got nominated for something. And then they're like, hey, everyone, this is the final award of the night. Songwriter award, out to pronounce, out to produce, sorry, out to present it, it's Loyal Kana. I'm like, what is happening? And then he just said, I like, love Jordan. I that guy. Yeah, he's like, I love Jordan. I was like, what? And then it was a bit of a shock, emotional thing. Because there was a lot of time for you to then process it because he came out on stage and then he did this beautiful speech. And 
He said, well, it's a bit of a funny thing as well I wanted to ask you about. He said that you rap battle drunk against really good rappers and win. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we went to a, um, we all went to this gig where all of our friends, like Loyal Connor, Tom Mish, lots of people like jumped up in Tom's set and there was all these people backstage and I never really drink or go to after parties, but I did because all of our friends are there and like everyone was rapping and I was... I was freestyling and battling like all the rappers. Loyal beat me. I, he, he's just being humble, but um, I think I took everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. And he said, I've got it written down. He said he is unique, completely original and refreshing at the same time when monotony in music is praised. So how do you keep from relying on music formulas when you write? Oh, it's tough. That's, a, that's the constant struggle with music, especially how it's in the last two years it's sort of changing you know people really want to get on new music friday or or it's got to be three minutes 30 to get on radio and i'm aware of all these people telling me things sometimes the label will say jordan that outro is two minutes you know that's gonna stunt our chances of potentially doing this but for me i want to i've always listened growing up listening to more alternative music and I want to make music that I want to listen to. So that's when it comes down to that judgment process of like listening to the final mixes or I'm editing. I'm thinking, would I listen to this, to this album or these songs? And if so, then I'm happy to release it. But when it starts getting to the point where I'm like, yeah, this is cool, but I know it's going to get several million streams because I've ticked that box and I've had a catchy chorus. And I think that's when I've, when I start like falling out of love with it. So I always want to retain who I was when I was 18, discovering how to write music and taking weird risks and blending weird genres together because that's what I thought was normal. And that hopefully I'll keep doing that as I progress. Do you feel like making mistakes are, is a really great beneficial thing when you're writing? It is, yeah. It definitely is. I, I mean, so many of my newest songs, like the last two albums, came from like... I mean, do you mean like imperfections? Sort of. It's like happy accidents. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So like I might be playing a guitar take. I've made this whole, I've recorded piano, synth, bass, synths. I've recorded like 20 layers. And then I go to lay this last guitar take and I skip on a note and then I'm, I loop it. I'm like, I've got to scrap everything. Like that's the song now. And that turns into like an atmospheric thing that happens in a song. So that I love that part of music. But if you went into it with more of a, I need to make a, playlist worthy song you run you lose those ideas because the studio i just come and just literally play anything randomly and something will i'll stumble upon and that's how my process is especially in the early stages of making music yeah i love that idea of like you have this process and then but you follow it when you have this accident or this mistake or something that really resonates with you yeah you follow the process so that you can get to the the new, the new bit. The new bit, yeah. yeah. And I always say to myself, if if I find myself looping a section more than the actual song, like if I make a whole song and then there's like a bridge where I really love it and I'm like, oh God, I just want to keep listening to it or keep layering on it. I'm like, that's got to be the whole song now and I have to make a way of getting rid of the other stuff and making a new bridge, a new chorus, because this is so strong. And that's one of my songs, Mind's Eye, which they played at, like in the montage. It started off as like a sort of like a dance music, all these weird chords, but then it hit the main chords that you hear in Mind's Eye. And I was like, they're too strong for me, to, for that just to be like eight bars of something. I want that to be the main theme. 
and that's how it turned into being the loop that it is. Yeah, it's incredible. I want to ask you all about Origin really soon, but I have one quick question first on your songwriting. What kind of legacy do you, you hope that you leave on the world with your songwriting? I want to be able to write songs that make people think about themselves or think about their own experience. Like, like sort of two things I want to do. I want people to think about you know, be introspective more because a lot of the time people are on autopilot and things are happening to them and they're like, it's cool, my childhood was this, but they push it aside when really people have to think about what are the main causes of the foundational behaviour. Um, so I've always attacked lyrics, like my first album's about me discovering meditation and how that affected me. And then my second album was about like social anxiety, which I discovered from meditation and then origin and you discovered social anxiety through meditation well i was meditating and i was thinking why is this why is there this like tenseness whenever i think about something like this and it made me think like that never existed in the past or maybe it did but i wasn't aware of it um and now the same sort of thing i go, i try to write lyrics that help people think about that so so many people message me and say oh, I didn't realise that I had that as well. I, I thought I was just shy, but I I get crippled and feel like anxious in my bedroom sort of thing. So that's one thing. And on the other thing, I want to just write songs. Like a lot, I think Ben sort of said it, as in Loyal kind of said it in the speech, but monotony and people aren't really writing full songs anymore with like structure and things that you can gravitate towards. It's all about vibe, and which is cool in some situations, but... I want to make songs that if you play it acoustically in a setting, people can connect with it rather than it being a really heavy drum beat and it's just like a ah, 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 and it's hard. Again, I'm not, I'm not hating on that music because I like a lot of it, but I want to be able to sing something, play the piano and sing something and people can connect with it. So that's sort of the legacy I want to leave. I think, yeah, I think you're definitely doing that already and I think in 50 years it's just going to be even more indelible on us. I think you have the song Mantra. It's probably one of my favourite tracks on that album. Oh, thanks. Yeah, there's, there's that sax solo and it just gives it that really cool jazz vibe. And there's this lyric in it, uh, you say, I believe in my tradition. And I think that's really open-ended as well. And kind of what you were saying about meditation before, music for me is a form of meditation and it's opening doors or, or paths that I possibly might not have thought about myself or mm. or just just thought processes that I might not have gone down had I not listened to that song. What does that lyric mean to you? Well, Mantra is the whole album I wrote, Origin, was about like a fictional world where, like a dystopian world where technology sort of was this overarching government. It's a weird concept. I had yeah, it. It starts with Mad World. Basically, yeah. I, I, I wrote the song with like a really long video clip in my head, but... I tried to articulate it as best I could in the music. But the last song, Mantra, is like the happy ending and the acceptance of... Um, it's like this character in my film, in my head, consoling his child in the new world, where he's reassuring to his child that we're human and though technology is governing us, we're imperfect and we're human and we have tradition and we have history and we have a narrative that we've built for millions of years, so don't let this overtake us sort of thing or at least understand who you are as a person and then the chorus is like sing with me this lullaby is sort of like and the idea of a mantra and meditation is you repeat a word 
to a point where it's used as a device to blank out noise. Um, so on a play on that theme, it's sort of like repetitive lyrics, like the first verse is the same as the second verse, just a different register. But it's like a repetitive affirmation sort of lyric that you repeat to create their mindset that you can overcome this. Like people that wake up every day and say, I am strong, I am strong, I am strong. So they say it 20 times and then hopefully they get some sense of feeling strong. It's the same concept of the mantra. So it's like a positive ending on the album that I wanted to embrace who we are as like a species, which could be quite deep. But yeah, that's, that's sort of what it means for me. You could argue that we live in that world that you're talking about. Yeah, and we're lo- yeah. that's why I wrote about it and... But I wanted to make it a bit weird and sci-fi because that's sort of what I'm about. But yeah, where I found before I was writing it, I would go on my phone on the tube in London, go into like Twitter, scroll through, go off and then go back on Twitter instantly. Like my brain was in this like slave mode to my device. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll do the classic thing. I'll delete the apps for a couple months and like find myself again. But doing that, I was like, wow, I feel so connected, I was cycling around, I felt like I was living a human experience in a technological world. Mm. And the worry is that as technology becomes stronger, so amazing that we can't avoid the temptation to use it, then how are we gonna get in touch with who we are or how are we gonna connect with people on a like emotional, romantic or like spiritual level like here in the flesh when we could just have an amazing virtual reality experience and it could be real but I don't know it just sort of scares me watching lots of stuff about it so we're so reliant on it exactly yeah I wouldn't have a job without the internet I mean funny in a funny way my career was born out of that new wave of artists on the internet where someone shared me on SoundCloud and I blew up into the Netherlands and then LA and then then London grew and then but it came from like a SoundCloud page in those days where sharing was like huge but even now like my audience is very much like I have two million people on Spotify but that as in they exist as fans but I might only have 300 people coming to shows here and there so Mm -hmm. I do exist on the internet and that's like helping my career so it's a weird way of like how can you use that in a good way but maintain the human in you. So would you say that there was sort of this existential, not crisis, but com- dialogue happening in your brain whilst you were writing Origin? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and the whole experience was, I wasn't on the, my device as my, I mean, I definitely had it. Basically when the campaign came around, I had to start sharing my music. I would, this is long, but I basically installed my apps, did my posts and then <laughs> uninstalled my apps just so that there was no temptation. How often? Oh, the post I'll do every four days or something like, hey, here's a single, mind's eye. And then I wouldn't do anything. And then four days later, I'm like, just in case you missed it, here's my single. And then there's a picture of me. So I was constantly still fighting that battle with it as the release was coming up. Did you find, because you've done albums where you weren't unplugged in that way, Mm. did you find that your response was better or worse than when you've been constantly online and constantly pushing daily? That's a good question. I think in the past, I cared a lot more about what people... I would post a new song on my second album and I would literally be refreshing the comments like, oh, you know, I was in that headspace. So I've maybe felt more connection but also it's 
It's a trick. It's a tricky line. You don't want to get too sucked into that dopamine release of like, oh yes, people love it. And then you get that one bad comment. That's yeah, literally just a keyboard. Someone warrior. might say like, oh, why isn't Jordan making hip hop like he used to, or something like that, or soul music? He's making this droney Wallflower album, which is like guitar based. People would say that sort of thing, and I'd be like, oh okay fine I'll uh, I would be in my head like okay fine I'll do something different next time but I though I didn't but with origin I was sort of like this is I would post and be like mute to the world so I didn't feel I'm like cool that's my song and then I go about my day and then I'll go on and I'll post my next post four days later and I wouldn't really read anything which in one hand is good because you have much more much better mental health but on the other hand you might be very disconnected from what people are saying they might be loving it and you have no idea yeah, it's it's totally different, both albums or all albums. I guess that's the trade-off, though. They might be loving it and you're not aware, but when you do plug in and check in, you're probably going to be overwhelmed by positive stuff and not really pay attention to the negative stuff because there'll be more of it. Yeah, and my friend, like Laura Carter said to me, if you're ever down, it's always nice to like go on a YouTube video of your own and look how many people like love you. Mm. And I never thought of it like that because you forget these are people that are like, go have jobs at normal things that, that literally love your music and can't live without it, or that's what they say. So it is crazy to think of that's how some of my songs have an effect on people like that. One platform that I'm really loving, and I've you know, done Twitter, I'm on Instagram, and I'm on Facebook, but TikTok, which I had to leave because I was just so obsessed with it and I would be scrolling at like 2am and not very productive at work the next day so I had to delete yeah but there it's new and the fans there and the people that use it are so happy and so supportive and so nice to each other really and there's all these people and it's really like it's this community of people making up dances to other people's songs it's really music based um and of course all the big artists are on it now but it started off with just these kids just dancing and appreciating songs and singing along to songs as well really and no one like and I spent months and months on it and no one was mean and there were people from all different backgrounds all different walks of life all different abilities and everyone was so positive and like cheering each other on maybe they all felt like they were all the people that left all the other main ones to just get it yeah, yeah get all get away and just finally have some more like positivity or something yeah. like that oh it'll be taken over by instagram influencers it probably already has been yeah it was really nice when i started out with my instagram account like six years whenever that was all my content was just weird stupid videos that i would make and be funny and then i would that was that was like my thing that was my brand yeah. basically yeah. i was never i never i always say to my label as a joke like i'm annoyed at myself that i never established this cool a lot of artists have a very cool brand where they're they're dressed really cool and they everything is amazingly shot but I was just this guy making stupid videos or, <laughs> or doing the, I don't know, playing ping pong or doing something stupid. But I'm, I'm considering going on TikTok to like re release that side of me again, just go weird oh, again. Kill it. So are you still going through the feelings and the music leanings that you were going through around the time of writing and recording Origin? No, it's weird. It's weird how maybe because I'm when I get into writing an album, I'm so invested in the sound that I'm trying to achieve, I like, it's sort of like playing an album that you love way too many times and you sort of not fall out of love with it, be like, cool, I, I don't, I'm not drawn to play that D'Angelo album because I've heard it 5,000 times. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with Origin. When I'm in the album making process, 
I basically am only listening to my own album to constantly critique it. I'm on the tube, I'm like, oh God, I want to cut that chorus in half, I need to change the chords. Or I'm constantly listening to it. And I was in a world of like 70s, 80s, soul music, some synthy stuff, hip, very driven, like high energy based, funky stuff. But now I'm, I'm trying to find like a different sonic. I'm writing again and I'm really into more less soulful based music, more like Bon Iver or Laura Marling. Or, I mean, Matt Corby's soulful, but he's got a different thing. He's one of my favorite artists, Matt Corby, insane. I've you seen him. do a collaboration with him. I mean, there's a weird sixth, we, we know each other through two or three degrees of separation, but we, we're very close to meeting properly and working, but mm. I'm, I'm, weirdly, I'm weirdly scared because I know he's good at, I'm, I'm scared of working with people like that. I don't want to. Like that don't meet your heroes? No, 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 more like I would know what I could add to his skill set. Like he can do everything that I can do. He plays keys, plays guitar, plays drums, plays bass. Maybe your voice. Maybe you could do a song together. Yeah, I mean that'd be cool. But he can he can sing better yeah, than most put people. It together, you could do amazing harmonies or something. Yeah, yeah, different sound. I don't know. I love. I love. I also love changing the sound each album. People listen to my albums from the beginning to now. It was. It's been a change of sound. It sort of still sounds like me because I have my old influences that sort of always shine through, like Stevie Wonder or. Bob Ma or Fat Freddy's Drop or something. They always are trickling in the background of whatever I make, but each sort of new sound is a is a slight deterrent, is a slight different direction on, on the main hub, if that makes sense. So what's the current direction you're in? It's more experimental, I think, just to try a bit more. I'm just, because I like in the studio, in the initial stages of writing, I love going all crazy with all the ideas and then later you can refine it and the label might be like, Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe don't do that there. Or, or my 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 band might be like Jordan. What are you doing? That's ridiculous. Let's just like make it more concise. <laughs> but I like going a bit crazy at the start. I was thinking the other day of like releasing all of my old songs in their initial format because they're super weird. They basically all got refined to like nice, palatable songs that people can like understand. But they started off being like a really weird journey of sound. Do it. Yeah. If Tool can do <laughs> an album that took them 16 years to release, or was it 13 years, and the average length of song is 13 minutes, <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's I love doing that in the live show though, adding like, I can extend the songs in the live show, I can do my way of how I visioned it live so that people have a different experience. But yeah, maybe I should. Yeah, do it. One Year Later is presented by APRA AMCOS, a key business partner both locally and globally to over 100,000 Australian and New Zealand songwriters and publishers. With reps and creative spaces in LA, Nashville and London, APRA AMCOS travels with its members. Whether you've relocated or it's just a flying visit, APRA AMCOS can provide space to members and their teams on a short-term basis in a fantastic location. Go to apraamcos.com.au for more info. So how are you different from a year ago? This time last year, would you say, do you feel different than this? Yeah, year? I do. This, hold on, this time last year. Yeah, I mean, I was right in the middle of, or I maybe I've finished Origin, but a lot has happened since, like, I bought a house, I got a dog, I got married, 
and like I discovered all in a year. All in a year, Congrats. yeah. Congrats! Thank it's you. Amazing. Yeah. A fur baby and a wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A fur baby. Yeah. <laughs> she is. She's basically a child. It's so it's so intense. Both great. But but I, I remember thinking last year my friend was talking about he started going to therapy for like some things and I was like hey well I'm 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 really happy I'm like loving my job loving my life I might do it just as an interesting thing just to try and learn about myself or just be psychoanalyzed by like a professional and it was so interesting like I went to therapy loads as like an experiment because I know not many people do that they go to like cure some trauma or whatever but I was like why don't I go when I'm already at zero so that I can get higher potentially and that revealed so much about my fundamental personality and all these traits I now know so much more about which is fascinating so I've been writing a lot about that lyrically about my discovery of therapy and my relationship with my brothers and my parents and my friendships in early early years and that sort of thing so I feel like it's a much more again I mean I love doing introspective stuff but I never vocalize anything with other people anyway because I'm quite introverted in that sense. I don't feel like I need to do that. Weirdly, I feel like I'm burdening someone as most people are in, in the 21st century. They're too scared to share their emotions. But with songs, I like talking about my own things. So it's another exploration of like who I am as a person in the deep, dark corners of my mind. It's really cool that you did that and are talking about it and are turning it into art as well. I think we live in this really amazing time where going to therapy and mental health is a point of pride. If you're focusing on your mental health and you're going to therapy because mental health is important to you, that means you're putting your health first and it means that you give a shit about yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I lo I'm loving seeing... All the kids on social media talk about, oh, my therapist said this about me. And they're making jokes and they're making it funny and it's really anecdotal. But at the end of the day, they're destigmatizing something that people used to whisper. You know, Did you know that Susan's in therapy? Yeah. And now it's like, oh, my therapist wouldn't approve of that. Yeah. I've been writing with a lot of young artists in the last few months, like someone like 19, 20. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I chat to my therapist about this all the time. I'm like, whoa, this, it's shifted so much. I feel like in the last five years... But I've surrounded myself, after moving from Australia to London, I'm sur I've surrounded myself with so many open-minded people like that, where I felt, you know, I feel comfortable to share that sort of thing. And, but a lot of people here are comfortable. Back, <laughs> back home, I played rugby and I was with, like, the lads and it was different, you know. You don't really say that in the locker room before a game. Like, hey, guys, after this game, sh can we talk about my favorite? <laughs> you know? It's different here, yeah, because I'm... I've came to like look, grow as a person mm. and I learned a lot about myself after moving here. I moved here, didn't know anyone, didn't plan anything. I was sort of like, I'm just going to save money. I have a place to rent and then I'll try and do the classic Twitter message. Say, hey, do you want to catch up for a meeting or a session or something? And I built my f friendship that way, which is massively out of my comfort zone being an introvert. Yeah. But I was like, the only way to... I read somewhere online, like, the only way to beat it is exposure therapy. Or the only way to beat, like, social anxiety is to, like, do it without any guarded, being guarded. Mm -hmm. And living at home with my mum in Brisbane, I was like, well, I've got my room, I've got my studio, I've got my best friends, I don't need to do anything with my life. Whereas when you come here, you're like, well, you need to meet people and you need to, like, find how to record in a studio. 
and it's been a massive change. I've changed a lot since moving. For an introvert who's since found out that he has social anxiety to move from Brisbane to London for the purpose of giving yourself a challenge, that's so incredible. It, it is, and my mum always talks about it. Whenever I come back now to Brisbane, we're going out to dinner or a restaurant. I'm talk, I'm talking to the waiter. I'm, I never used to do that. Like I've, I'm, I'm nowhere near as shy or. I was, a, I was a strange character, basically. I was very boxed in. I'd say, hello, um, yes, please, thank you. And I'd be like <laughs> crawled in like in a fetal position wherever I went. Yeah. But coming back, I'm like, hey, everyone, how you doing? Should we go get... And I'm much more confident. And that could just be getting older, being more mature and meeting people. But that can take time too. You can... Yeah. You get older and you get more mature and everything. But, you know, some people don't do that until they're in their 40s or mid-30s or later in life. You know, yeah. You fast-tracked that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, because I was thrown in that deep end and I I had to grow up really fast, basically, and people that I'm... A lot of my friends are, you know, when I was younger, you would hang out with someone exactly your age because you went to, you hang out with all your school friends, but now I have lots of young friends, lots of much older friends of, like, you know, old-school London musicians that have taught me a lot about the music scene or something like that, and I didn't have that sort of calming presence if you know what I mean a lot in my life but you have to find that when you move somewhere how long did it take for you to feel like London was home because you were saying on stage the other night at the Global Opera Music Awards that you moved here in 2015 with you're working at Coles yeah and you had saved up about eight thousand dollars yeah that's it so how long did it take it probably felt like I remember flying back after my first so I came on New Year's Eve well the, either the 1st of January 2015 or I landed like the day before 2014 but I've been here since 2015 basically and I went back home that Christmas afterwards to the end of 2015 I remember coming back to London flying into Heathrow in the morning and I was like oh it's, I felt like it was good to be back home and so it was about a year maybe or maybe it was just that was the first realisation after flying in being really excited to be back and I don't know, go about my life. Also, my brothers were working off in the mines because they're in, like, construction. So we're totally different in that sense. So going back to Brisbane, they weren't even there either. They were off in Perth or up in Darwin or something working at the mines. So I was like, yeah, I'm doing my own thing as well, but I'm doing it in London. <laughs> and I felt like that's <laughs> very different. <laughs> um, the creative minds, maybe. <laughs> but it was flying back in. I was like, this is my, my place. So what does your team look like that you have here? Have, have you got label, publisher, manager, agent? What's Who have you got? So I've got, when I first moved here, I was unmanaged for a long time. And then I got a manager, basically red light management. They've got a big company all, all over the world. Three in, three in the management team. I've got a booking agent. I've got a promoter that works, works with a booking agent. They like get venues and do all the insurance and that sort of thing. And then I've got a record label, which is Ninja Tune, and I recently just signed publishing to Sony ATV. So I've got I basically every element. I haven't got a book deal or a, <laughs> a movie songwriting agent. <laughs> yeah, you need a, a screen songwriting agent now, and yeah, a book publisher. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a book in you? I've I've written two children's books. No way. My little brother had a baby two years ago, and I was like, I don't want to give that classic 
prison that they grow out of. Like, I want to write and illustrate a whole children's book. I made one copy. You illustrated it? It's not good. It's not amazing drawings. You know, but... I did the same thing for my nephew. Really? It's so funny, but I didn't illustrate it because it's terrible. And you know, have you heard of the company Vistaprint? Yeah. Yeah, they do hardback covers. You send all the files. My company was called Blurb, and they like, <laughs> you, we we wrote the script or we wrote the story, which is just like really, again like, self discovery story of this character going around trying to find its lost dog, and it's like chatting to a pig. It's like, and then you sort of describe the pig and then relationship with this character and the pig and the pig's like, sorry, I don't know where it is, go speak to the cow. So, and basically it's like, but it's like really poetic. And then at the end, it starts getting really trippy and left field. He's talking to trees now and he's talking to, and it gets to a point where, spoiler alert, he basically realizes that his dog that he's looking for, he looks in the reflection and sees the dog and realizes he's looking for himself in this like world of, um, self-discovery and it, I, I wrote it really nicely and basically so sweet. every time I go back to visit my niece I'm like I'm reading it to her like you better remember this <laughs> <laughs> so hard on it yeah exactly what did you call it Millie's Mission oh my gosh you know that it sounds so similar to my book really yeah <laughs> it's a good idea for anyone out there that's like into writing yeah I thought I was going to do a whole series I thought I was going to do one every year it's well, the first one the only one is called the Amazing Adventures of Finn Taylor Under the Sea. And then I was going to do oh. The Amazing Adventures of Finn Taylor in the Jungle. And every character in the book is an animal under the sea. And the parent, but he loves surfing. He's only three, but he loves surfing because his dad surfs. And his parents are surfboards. And <laughs> the grandmas are mermaids. And I'm an octopus. <laughs> oh, nice. We're going to do that for every single niece and nephew that I have. Because he had another child and I wrote, we wrote him a book as well. And that's called, uh, his name's Charlie, but his nickname's Chop. And we called it, <laughs> it's about, he's not, he's a small character, but his shoes are huge and he has to fill these big, great big shoes and expectations of life. And, but the only way to fill the shoes is by eating like a healthy diet. So like eating, and it's called chop shoey, like chop stuff. <laughs> and basically it's like, he discovers the broccoli and it's a joke about broccoli and he's, he's, he grows in size, like Popeye-esque. And then he eats like a bad donut later and he shrinks and he, he's learning what's good and bad. <laughs> but I want to do that. And that's, I was generally, when I wrote those books, I was like, I really enjoyed that. It was sort of like writing songs back in the early days. Like I really struggled because I'm not, I would say I don't have great, I have to think about vocabulary and trying to make it sound really metaphorical. But I was sitting there constantly thinking of an artistic way to write He Walked Into The Room. And that it really helped my songwriting. Like my new album is much more, much more metaphorical and, and lots more imagery. In the past I used to say like, I don't know, not I'm sad and I'm alone, whatever. But now it's more like describing a scene, setting the scene more describing maybe what I'm smelling, the, the sensations in my body as I'm feeling a certain feeling. But it really helped shape my lyricism, which is crazy. That's so cool. Yeah. Is your, your manager should hook you up with a book deal. Well, I genuinely said to them, I want to do children's books. Mm. I could pump out the script, the, the story, maybe in a couple of days and mm. maybe write, spend a year writing like 60 or something. And then one surely would get picked that's the way i'm thinking one would be good enough yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) but you only can do that sort of thing if you put the work in and get it done otherwise you could be like i'm waiting till i write the perfect book but 
I'm gen I genuinely really am passionate about it. Oh, you have to do it. Yeah, it'd be a cool it's little a challenge of like, you know, doing a sixty day challenge where you write sixty books in sixty days. I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well song what does APRA have? They have that fifty songs in five days. Yeah. Do your own when I, when I wrote my when I was sending sent Origin to the label, like its first demo version, they were like it's cool. There might we we think you need some more refined songs because like I can get carried away. So I spent a day um, and I wrote five songs in one day, and three of them, say something, Mad World and Signs, all of which have done really well. Oh my god! I wrote them all in one day, <laughs> and plus two other ones. Like, that... You want a quick song? I got you. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, do you mean something like this? Or and then I sent them an email, and as they were like, I waited for criticism. I wrote another one. And like did the beat and so it was funny how that how that happened so yeah I could I feel like I could write the children's books if I put my mind to it one every two days or something God. have you ever done the APRA songwriting no I didn't know that was a so thing. they have this thing called song hubs and they get these different songwriters together that usually have never worked together different producers and everything and they put them in a studio and they put them in a house together and they have them all over the world Oh, really? You would be brilliant at that. I would love that. Oh. I love songwriting for other people, so... Oh, you have to do it. They even did last year, I think Millie Petriella, who's the director of member services at Opera, she organised a, a K-pop one. Oh, amazing. And they all went over to Korea, yeah. I want to get in on that. You ha Okay, well, you will. I'll have to message yeah, you. You will then. Okay, so what else have you got planned for the rest of the year? We've got... I'm basically writing a lot i'm trying to write lots and lots and lots of music and then choose whatever i want later but right now i'm just having so much fun i spent six months last year at the end of last year touring i loved i loved touring but when i was young making beats since i was 11 like that's my thing making music in my space being able to control the environment as much as possible so it's my like biggest comfort zone is writing and producing music so I'm just really enjoying being back and writing again and having fun and I finish the day I'm like best song I've ever wrote wake up the next day I'm like mm, maybe not <laughs> and then the next day I'll go back in and write another song and yeah I'm just constantly writing but that's the main thing I'm going to be touring over Europe hopefully not to be weird but hopefully if nothing gets cancelled from the yeah. corona virus situation which lots of things have got cancelled South by's cancelled yeah they're thinking of cancelling the Olympics yeah I feel so bad for someone that just dropped an album and they're relying on this big summer circuit to it's I don't know I would that'd be difficult for it's them it's really gonna affect the music industry it yeah has, but I don't think we even know how much this is going to financially affect us I think I, I think I sort of think of it weirdly more of, of like a I know people are losing their lives and it's like a horrible illness but it's it's going to affect the world in a financial way much more than it's going to affect the world in a health way which is the scary thing we could collapse like lots of things could collapse you know schools because schools need lots of schools are closing in parts that are and then how are they going to stay alive it's really KK. really worrying and then what's even more worrying is just the mayhem that's around it like unnecessary anxiety around it as well yeah you see all the fights of people with the toilet yeah i know i'm so embarrassed to be from australia <laughs> my mum told me about that this morning she was like there was a fight on the news about both women got charged really yes <laughs> it's just i mean good yeah i mean 
And yeah, so the show is hopefully the show yeah. don't get cancelled. Yeah, well, let's hope the shows don't get cancelled. Cool. And then you're really into film composing, or you want to be. Yeah, I really want to be. Yeah, and your team know that. Everyone knows that. It's just I I'm caught up right now in like a goal I have to um, have five albums out before I'm 30, and I always say this publicly to put pressure on myself to How do old it. How are you now? 27. Oh, lots of time. Yeah, so I've got three out, and I'm 80% through writing this. Well, I've got, like, songs that I love already. And then I think, I'm trying to think how campaigns work. You sort of deliver it, and then it gets released two months later because of the vinyl and all that. But I've sort of got two and a half years, or if I'm counting whilst I'm 30, three and a half years, to release two albums. And then after that, I'm open to do everything. But I really want to do that because so many artists... Basically, I'm just trying to get rid of that perfectionist thing where D'Angelo takes 14 years to release an album because he's constantly like, no, that, no, we should re, I don't know, the constant... Until takes 13 years. Yeah, until, yeah. So many just, So I just want to get something out and it's out and cool, that was my sound at that in that year, 2015. That was what I was going for and 2019, I went for the origin thing. And this year I might write something different, but I'd love people to look back and go, oh, cool, he was in that headspace then, rather than, you know, ACDC, their sound is so seamless. Mm. They did make a conscious decision to, like, we know people love the riffs and the high voice, so we're going to commit to that. But they took time on their albums and... It makes you compare them to each other more, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think if something's different... Trying to think of another, like Radiohead. Do you, do you much into Radiohead? A little bit, yeah. Well, Radiohead started with like the acoustic rock thing, and then now they're making really obscure electronic blippity with piano ballads. Yeah. It's like a really, they basically totally changed. But now you can go same sort of thing. Wow, in two thousand and one they made OK Computer, and it's like really groundbreaking. And then two thousand seven, and Rainbows is like classic alternative rock music, like, and it's. It's sort of like snapshots. Yeah. Tom York is still a god to everyone. Yeah, but if if you were, and then you compare them to someone else from that era, like Oasis, who people like, yeah, we love Oasis, but they sound the same that they did back then. And though everyone still loves them, they're still they're not as relevant as Radiohead. And I think that's the key if you can like keep changing for yourself, but also keep it interesting so that people you can gain new fans. Mm. Yeah. They don't just have 50-year-old fans listening to them. I love Radiohead, and lots of my younger friends do as well. That's what I like. You're gathering new followers as you're retaining the old. Yeah, that's yeah. the that's the, the sweet spot, that's if possible. Yeah, and writing books and yeah. scoring movies. And, and getting, yeah, getting the three- to four-year-old followers after my <laughs> books. <laughs> yes! Oh, my gosh, you could do a soundtrack to each book. I... You know those books that had the little cassette tape on the front? Yeah, yeah. Your book can have... That would be amazing. Uh, like, uh, Lullaby. A QR code to your Spotify playlist. That would be a really cool idea. I literally Googled after I did that second book. I was like, how do you release a book in the world? What do you do? <laughs> and there are so many blogs like, Contact your local library, ask if you can put on a free event, offer like basically offer food, invite all the mums of the area around, read your books to people. And so basically you need to develop this network. Luckily, hopefully by the time when I start doing it, I might have a, some sort of profile that I can leverage to get sort of some sort of network and get mums listening to my books. Because if, if I'm 33 by that age or something, 
hopefully my 27 year old fans now will have children by that age genius and then they'll be <laughs> and you can self-publish on amazon yeah 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 i've read that yeah or there's another distributor on your facebook or yeah oh i could do audio books yeah. i could like do the film music underneath but it's it's something i want to do but also write for film yeah but I want to write music all my life, but it'd be cool to keep things interesting. So I'm really interested to know what your answer would be to my last question. This is a question that I always ask on the One Year Later podcast. What do you hope we're all talking about next year when we talk about Jordan Rakai? Well, I think... I, oh, God, that's a good question. I think I always want to... I think hopefully by that time, this time next year, my album would be out or it's on its way out. And I would want people to be surprised... And sh not shocked, but like amazed that I decided to go a certain sonic direction, but I was able to make it sound not alienating. So that I'm, for lack of a better word, like gr breaking a mold. And I would love to be remembered as like the artist that is breaking his own mold, as in he keeps breaking out of the sound you thought I was. So next year you might be like, oh wow, it totally doesn't sound like any of his last albums, but I still love his this album so I'm a fan even more now yeah I think that's sort of what I would love to be remembered for that's cool and I think you're already doing that as well I think you're well on your way I hope so <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks for having me write or perform songs, you need to connect with Apprahamkos. The Music Rights Organisation collects songwriting royalties for over 100,000 songwriters and composers. It also supports music creators through networking events, workshops and grants programs. Go to apraamkos.com.au to find out more.